Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals and the greater community. We have a very special podcast today. We have Jamie Barnes and James Andrews, exercise physiologists, and Jerome Lugo, physiotherapist. And today we're going to be talking all things wellness. So welcome and thank you all three of you for being here today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Pip. We'll see how we manage. (laughs) (laughs) See who's got the biggest story to tell. Now, James, we're going to start with you. Let's start with what is wellness. Yeah, so I think uh, wellness is is basically, yeah, a bit of like an umbrella term, but it's essentially just practising sustainable uh, healthy habits um, that optimise our physical, mental and social health. Uh, they're kind of like our, our main pillars of health, uh, the habits that we can do to, to optimise those. Yeah, great. What does it mean to you, Jamie? Um, yeah, similar to what, what James touched on, it's... Um, you know, I guess it's sort of open to interpretation a little bit, but for me, it's um, it's about just sort of looking after, looking after my physiological and psychological well-being, and we know that they can, I guess, um, blend together as well and, and play a role in each other's um, well-being too. But um, yeah, it's just sort of strategies and just little practices within within your day-to-day life that can just sort of help optimize, um, yeah, how, how you're feeling from a physical and a, and a mental point of view. And Jerome, James talked about the pillars of health. Um, what do you think they are? What would you identify them as? Yeah, for sure. I think the most obvious ones that we all kind of come to is like your physical health, your mental health. And then away from that, we've also got a social health and emotional health and even like an environmental health mm. and financial health even. Mm. I think an easy and interesting concept to kind of view these things is like viewing each of them on a continuum or on a scale in which on one side, if you think of, Um, say, physical health, you've got feeling really, really healthy. And then if you move along that scale, say, from the left to the right, you've got coping. So, you know, you might not be feeling 100%. Then next to that, you might have difficulties. And then on the very, very far end, you might have an illness. And I think that continuum or that spectrum helps to, I guess, helps to visualise what it's actually like from a day-to-day standpoint from all of those concepts of health. And that pursuit of wellness you know, doing healthy habits kind of pushes that needle towards healthy or if you're doing bad habits, maybe pushing that towards illness. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really eloquent one to think about because oftentimes we think of being perfect in our health in all of those domains, but the truth and the reality of it is that there is no perfect. We're constantly shifting on that continuum. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's interesting that you added in a couple of other things like financial health. You know, because if that's not going well, that clearly has some stresses in your life and and causes other habits, which may be working even more to try and fix that problem or the impact it's having mentally on financial financial strain. Absolutely. I think they're really all interconnected. And I think when you look at health holistically like that and you're wondering, oh, why do I feel so stressed today? And you Mm -hmm. look at it from that whole picture, like the whole sum of, all the parts of your well-being, I think oftentimes we'll find something that, you know, might be ticking us on the edge there that, that kind of is pushing us towards not feeling great. Yeah. How do you feel about that, James? Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Um, 
when he, yeah, I guess sort of the, the big three I, I would say would be, yeah, your physical, mental, social, and, and there's definitely uh, interplay between all three. Like, um, you know, if, if your physical health is, is not optimum, um, there's probably every chance that you're probably not in a mental, a great mental space and maybe not getting out and socializing as much, uh, and vice versa. Um, I think they all really play a big role in influencing each other. Um, and I guess that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is how can we, um, start to build habits that can improve, um, those pillars of health. Yeah, because it's all very well to talk about it, isn't it? But the um, we all know the theory and most people know the theory, but it's about how you implement it in everyday life. Yeah. But the physical injury is also interesting in terms of the social side because you see, um, and in, in all age groups, but if you've got kids or adults that are part of a sporting team and that sporting team is massive to their social life and they're injured and they can't train and they can't play and all of a sudden they're on the outer of that, of their of their social circle, mm-hmm. and then the mental impact that that has on them and, and their recovery. So yep. yeah, it is. Um, I agree with with all of you about how it all interacts and and influences every part of that. So yeah, Jamie, you see a lot. You know, you do the rehab of these types of injuries. You you do it physically, but what other things are you discussing and talking about in time trying to get people back? And yeah, I think what you touched on with the um, the the physical side of things playing into the mental side of things is a big one when it comes to injuries as well, especially if you've got someone who's either um, like a semi-professional or professional athlete whose livelihood revolves around competing and training. Um, you know, when when someone's in a position where they're injured and you take away um, the, the you know a big chunk of their livelihood, it obviously has a, a pretty steep mental toll. Um, but yeah, it's it's it's. The other thing as well is, is motivation, um, you know, from, from professional right through to just your weekend warrior or whatever it is, um, trying to, I guess, keep somebody on task when it comes to being injured and recovering from injury and getting back to competition. Um, most people, when they're, when, they're, when they're healthy and they're able to sort of do what they want to do from a sporting point of view, it's, it can be quite easy to be motivated, especially if you enjoy what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But um, when that's sort of taken away from you in part and you're having to, to rehab and bring yourself back to, to competition, it can, you know, that, that same level of motivation isn't always there um, because the dynamic of what you're doing changes a lot. So, um, yeah, I guess for us as, as EPs and, and Jerome as a physio as well, um, a big part of our role is, is making sure somebody stays um, motivated to, to get back to where they were. Um, and then I guess it, it just comes down to, Working out, working with the individual, and and finding out what makes that individual tick from a motivation point of view, and um, I guess making rehab or return to sport sort of engaging for them based on what their personality is like, um, and yeah, hopefully getting them back to to doing what they love and everything sort of returning to a status quo when they do complete their rehab. Yeah, just picking up what you just put down there in terms of like keeping people motivated. I've seen you do a really good job of this, which is. When you do have that injured athlete, trying to ensure that they're doing the things that they can actually control and continue getting them to do the good things for themselves, even though they are injured. And so the things that we kind of look for are like, can we improve their sleep? Can we improve like their ability to still exercise in interesting and meaningful ways, even though they are injured? And how do we ensure that, you know, they're keeping on top of like other aspects like mindfulness and, you know, their food as well and keeping them motivated in that sense, even when they don't have an opportunity to, you know, do their livelihood, they can still contribute to their well-being and their wellness by doing those kinds of things. And I've seen you do a really good job of that with some of the athletes that we co-treat. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's, um, and, and, you know, I guess um, 
individual versus team athletes again it's a different dynamic you know if you mm-hmm. if you if you're working with an athlete that's um that is involved in a team sport you know trying to keep them engaged with the team doing some rehab on the on the sidelines but you know tra- doing it at the same time the rest of the team's training so you're still kind of involved and and those sort of things as well so yeah, there's many there's many different ways you can kind of approach it and you know as Jerome was saying um I guess breaking it down a little bit for them as well and just sort of saying okay well um you know things like your sleep things like your nutrition um, you know, looking after yourself mentally, whether it's through mindfulness or or, or whatever. Um, yeah, what are what are the, the little things that can that can add up and be the sum of the parts to you know coming back. Um, and the one other thing, I guess, I try and sort of emphasise athletes is coming back better than what they were previously as well. So you know, rehab is an opportunity, obviously, to to get yourself back to full capacity, but it's also an opportunity for you to work on um, areas that you might not have or areas of not weakness is the right word, but maybe maybe sort of areas where you've got capacity for improvement that you might not have otherwise had time to, to work on when you were training fully. So um, I guess trying to view it as an opportunity as well. Mm. I think what you've talked about is the the it's out of people's control. So an injury is out of their control as one aspect of what we're talking about. And it's not just for the athlete. You've got, you know, we see people here that have been in car accidents or um, social accidents like skiing or falling down hills, maybe there might have been some alcohol involved in those ones, but, um, but workplace injuries as well, you know, things that are outside people's control. So all of a sudden all these elements we've talked about, all the bits of the puzzle are affected by that um, incident in their life. And it might not be a physical injury, it might be a, some trauma, but it all of a sudden is impacting, impacting all these things. So let's talk about um, some of the aspects of wellness. Let's talk about sleep. The person that tells you they've always been a bad sleeper. Um, how, how are you going to influence them? How are you going to change that? Yeah, well, I think uh, nowadays the, there's a lot of really, really good research into sleep. Um, quick little plug for our man Matthew Walker. He's a he's quite a uh, well-known neuroscientist and he's done quite a lot of research in the field of sleep. Um, so there is a lot of information out there now, a lot of good tips and, and tricks that people probably underestimate or, or don't know about. Um, and I guess what we what we can all talk about today is is what we do personally, what what we've learnt from our own sort of um, own educations and what we uh, advise our clients to do as well because no doubt we have an impact um, on the behaviours of our clients. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll probably just talk about some, some some of our best tips and tricks. What do we reckon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I think one that's probably um, – I, th- I think probably the most important one that I – have found has had a big impact on myself is just sticking to a regular sleep routine. Um, so what I mean by that is uh, a regular wake time and a, regu- a regular bedtime. And I know that's not always going to be super practical for for everybody. For instance, if you're a shift worker or something like that, where you or you've got young children or something like that, it's it's not always super practical, but if you can stick to some sort of regular sleep pattern, um, that's going to have a major impact on your circadian rhythm. Um, and then without getting too down into the nitty gritty of, of the physiology behind it all, um, your circadian rhythm is really what dictates your, your quality of sleep. And if we can get that as, as, as good as possible, then that's going to be really important. So for, for example, um, people might sleep, they might, they might go to bed at 10 PM every night and wake up at 7am every morning but then on the weekend they go out and they have a party or whatever and that throws things out if you can try even on weekends i know sometimes it's a bit of a struggle if you can try to stick to a bit of a pattern um that's that's probably my uh key bit of advice for sleep jb 
Yeah, it's great. Um, just to sort of, I guess, um, follow on from what James was saying, um, one one sort of tip that I guess I've I've become sort of privy to in the last six months or so, which I found has really helped, and you know, we've plugged Matthew Walker before, who's um, doing some great work in, in research in the area of sleep. But um, but another plug for another neuroscientist, Andrew Huberman, um, has talked about um, the circadian rhythm and and I guess how we can how we can regulate that to optimize our sleep. Another one that I've that I found has been really helpful for me is um, is sunlight exposure early in the day. And the the research or the thinking behind that is um, viewing sunlight in the first sixty minutes of awakening um, helps to set basically our body clock and, and set the release of hormones at the right time throughout the day, but also at the end of the day as well, um, which, you know, sounds a little bit woo-woo when you when you sort of um, you hear it for the first time, but it's something that I've really made a habit of, of doing every morning is sort of, you know, uh, getting outside of my morning coffee and just sort of looking, obviously not looking straight into the sun, but, <laughs> you know, but looking in that general direction and, and getting some morning light in the eyes first thing in the morning um, and, and I have found, and I know that James is the same as well, I haven't spoken to Jerome about it, but I know we've sort of talked about sort of doing that first thing in the day and, um, and you know, I have found a, a noticeable difference in the way that I feel, you know, 14 to 15 hours later at, at night time. Um, I just feel ready for sleep much easier than what I perhaps used to. Um, so that's probably been my, my big shift over the last six months or so in terms of trying to build some habits around, you know, making sure that my body's ready for sleep at the right time and that I can get a full night is just, you know, I guess setting myself up in the first part of the day and just sort of getting up and, and looking at some at some natural light. And, you know, some of my some of our morning clients might sort of see me leave after the 7 o'clock group <laughs> and just go for a bit of a walk down to the end of the driveway and Stick back. your head out the window. Yeah, exactly. So to put you on the spot before Jerome jumps in, yep. do you look at your phone before you go outside? Uh, it depends what day you ask me. Because <laughs> <laughs> that'd be ruining it, wouldn't it? That'd yeah, be the... <laughs> I, I, try, I try not to, but, um, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said I did it consistently. <laughs> um, yeah, like, just picking up on what you said before, Pip, um, you, you mentioned, like, the, nearly like the identity of being a bad sleeper, and it's a question that we commonly ask our clients here, which is, like, how, how's your sleep going? And oftentimes the reply is an exasperated sigh, like, oh, I'm, I'm a terrible sleeper. And I think it starts with that first concept of, like, identifying as a terrible sleeper first and foremost and just thinking, like, oh, I'm a terrible sleeper forever. Because I used to do that too. When I was growing up, I was like, oh, I'm a terrible sleeper. I just can't get a good night's sleep. And when you ask me this question of, like, how do you get a good night's rest, it makes me reflect on, like, what do I do when I'm having terrible sleep? What are the negative habits that mm. I have? And those habits look like this. I'll bring my phone to bed. Mm-hmm. And the last thing that I look at is scrolling through like Instagram or Twitter just before bed, and I'm staying so I don't know up and about because you know I've got all this light, and I've also got all these dopamine hits from seeing pictures of friends, and that doesn't help my sleep whatsoever. The other thing that doesn't help me sleep well is if I've eaten really, really close to bedtime. Mm-hmm. The other thing that doesn't help is like a late night tea because I don't wake up at three in the morning and rushing to the bathroom. Um, and the other thing that doesn't help me sleep well is like having light in the room. Uh, I've noticed now, now that I've invested in some like really, really uh, blackout blinds or whatever, that that has really, really helped impact my sleep. Yeah. So when I reflect on the things that have made me a terrible sleeper in the past, they're probably like the main four things. So the habits that I now try to implement, one, I bought out, uh, bought some blackout blinds, game changer, highly recommend. <laughs> nice. Two, I've put my phone charger downstairs in the kitchen. And it mm-hmm. means that if I want to have a charged phone, then I cannot have the phone to bed. And three, I'll bring a book or something or a journal to bed to help me impact 
you know, that mental kind of overthinking and just try to get thoughts out on paper. And then picking up what you just said before, JB, that early morning sunlight, going for an early morning walk, when I'm having my best sleep, it's when I've done that for consecutive days. And I think an important thing to realise here, at least for me, is that I did these habits for like five days and I didn't see any change at all. I was like, oh, no, still a terrible sleeper. I am exactly what I said I was, terrible sleeper. I still am. But then give that two weeks and suddenly I'm waking up right on time before the alarm goes off. Actually, having an alarm clock in the room is also really helpful too because you don't have to have your phone. But I'll be waking up before the alarm goes off. I'll be feeling sleepy at the right times. And what you guys said before about that circadian rhythm, that takes time to be able to implement. So Mm -hmm. being patient is probably the last idea there. Yeah, I think one last thing that we haven't touched on is temperature as well. I agree with everything you just said, Jerome, and I've, I've done similar things as well. Um, the other thing would be temperature. So if you if you notice in summer, it's always harder to sleep when you're in a hot room. Um, the, the, the physiology behind that is your body actually needs to cool down by one degree um, to get to sleep. Um, so sleeping in a, in a cold environment um, is, is beneficial. Um, ways to sort of shift your own body temperature also can be having like a shower half an hour to an hour before bed. Um, the reason behind that is it can help um, dilate your blood vessels um, it actually um, leads to cooling of the body after you've jumped out of the shower. Um, so that's uh, that could also be a, a bit of a, a tip for people out there. Try and sleep in a cool environment or cool your body temperature down by having a shower before bed. Yeah, interesting because you've said, you know, the, the the I'm not a good sleeper, but that starts with self-talk. Yeah. But then it is actually implementing some of those things that, that are available as you've discussed. But I was interested to hear that you did have an alarm clock because yes. so many people don't these days and their phone <laughs> is their alarm clock, which mm. is such a trap. Yeah. For, um, yeah. I, I have a theory that we're going to go closer and closer to more analogue things again because we're, I think we're all starting to realise that that phone is pretty toxic sometimes. Mm. And having there is some spectacular alarm clocks, there's one that like wakes you up as if it was like the sun and it slowly gets brighter, slowly gets louder as you wake up and it's so beneficial for your sleep. Yeah. Mm. The um that movie about the phones, if you haven't seen it, amazing. Um, yeah. I've forgotten the name right this minute, but um about how it pings deliberately to because you haven't touched it and it's yeah yeah I think the social dilemma. the social dilemma yeah. yeah amazing. So I don't disagree that the phones might be finding themselves a little bit further away. <laughs> I think I'm going to get myself an alarm clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm learning stuff. This is good. This is good. It's like old school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, mindfulness. Let's talk about that because you know. Some people love it and, and go, yep, I know what it is and understand it. And others go, it's woo-woo, don't talk to me about it. So how does that impact our lives? Uh, my, yeah. Should I just, yep, sorry. Go I, ahead. I didn't yeah. want to interrupt anyone. Um, the thing with mindfulness is um, I feel like people hear it or hear the word and feel like there's a, like a set practice involved and there's a need to kind of take time, you know, like a chunk of time out of your day to, to do it. Um, when in reality it's, it's, it can be very sort of, it, it can be unplanned, it can be unstructured. Um, and it's, I guess the idea of mindfulness is around um, bringing you back into the moment as opposed to sort of, you know, if somebody's anxious, running away with any sort of thoughts, anxious thoughts they've got, um, worry or stress or whatever it is, and just, um, just bringing you back to the here and now and, and using that as a way of just sort of breaking that cycle of snowballing anxious thoughts um can it can take place in many forms um it doesn't it doesn't have to be sort of you know 
going down to the beach with a yoga mat and doing meditation for 60 minutes or anything like that. It can be that, but it can also be something as simple as um, going for a walk down to the beach on your lunch break and just listening to the waves for five minutes and looking out at the horizon and, you know, sort of taking your mind off whatever it is that's that's sort of causing any stress or anxiety and just sort of, you know, I guess being um, absorbed in listening to the sounds of the waves crashing against the shore or, or whatever it is. So um, I guess if, if there was one message that I wanted to get out to people about what mindfulness is, is that it's not something that you need to, you know, take a, a large amount of time out of your day to do or it's not something you need to, you know, necessarily master um, you know any sort of specific practice. You know it can be as it can be as simple as just finding something that you can slide into your day to day routine that works for you, um, and sort of implement it that way. Um, I'm not sure whether uh, James and Jerome have got sort of any other thoughts on that, or whether you've got your own. Yeah, no, I agree. I think yeah, mind, yeah. I think when most people think mindfulness, they think of like the additional one uh, percenter type activities that you can do such as meditation and um, even like cold water immersion. I know Jerome, you've got your, your challenge coming up with the nine for nine um, things like that, where it is, as you said, sort of taking your mind off things. Um, but I, I like to think of it. Um, I, th- I feel like I get my best form of mindfulness from actually some of my hobbies and some of my mm. activities. Um, so my, my main sort of hobby is jujitsu and I find sometimes you'll drive to training and you'll be, there'll be a lot on your mind. You might have had a stressful day. There might be some things going on. Oh, I've got to pay this bill, yada, yada, yada. When I'm at training, I'm not thinking about any of that. Um, it's just literally, literally just absorbed in what I'm doing. Um, and then afterwards it almost feels like I have this sort of mental clarity. So I think you can actually get mindfulness through active endeavors like you probably get it from long distance running you probably get it from your sprinting as well when you're you're fully immersed in what you're doing and that can come through anything it might be you're playing the piano or you're reading a book or whatever it might be i think that can be a form of mindfulness as well where you're not you're not listening to those chaotic voices in your head you're just solely focused on what you're doing in the moment yeah absolutely for me it's like disconnecting my thoughts and like disconnecting my brain power for a little bit and just turning the volume down from a really, really stressful day. Um, for me, it, it's all about like rest and non-productive rest time, which is something that I think we could all do with a little bit more. When I look at my schedule, I'm like, oh, I'm so busy. But mindfulness for me is just taking the moment just to be like, actually, don't really need to do any of this right now. I can just enjoy what I'm doing. And that, again, doesn't necessarily mean having to learn how to meditate or do yoga. I think when I was Growing up and learning about this space, I was like, oh, mindfulness, yeah, going to have to sit down for 10 minutes and listen to a meditation. I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. But now for me it's more disconnecting my thoughts and being present in the moment. And that could be as simple as like when you're eating, just put your phone away and just eat and just like focus on the sensations and the feelings that you're going through. Um, and it, I think a lot of us overthink it. We're, we're like, oh, mindfulness, that's for yoga instructors and, and other people alike, but there is so much more power to that. And I think you identified something as sitting down and resting, but it's not being guilty about it. And I don't know if, if as males you feel guilty if you actually stop, but I know if, as females mm-hmm. to sit at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and read a book for 20 minutes, I really have to not feel guilty about that because I feel like I should be doing something else more productive yeah, and, and for other people. So yeah. I think it's not feeling guilty about actually having time out. Yeah, I think we all need a, just a little bit more time just to, like, stop doing so much. Yeah. yeah I think if COVID's actually taught us anything, it's probably that. Yeah, and then yeah. as soon as COVID, it hasn't ended. But as soon as the lockdowns have kind of ended, 
we're all going a million miles a minute again. Yeah. And I think we could all do with like a mini lockdown. I'd like a hybrid version. I keep saying, <laughs> yeah. give me a hybrid version. Yeah. Don't, don't jinx it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but James, even with what you've said about, you know, your exercise, your um, jiu-jitsu is high intensity, mm-hmm. but it's still for you a hobby that takes you away from anything else. And, yeah. and, you know, so it doesn't always have to be a slow activity mm-hmm. if it works for you, like really individualised. Because I know if I've had a hectic, hectic week, to think about going for a run actually adds to that level of this is just still full speed ahead. Yeah. So I'd prefer to walk. But if I've had a decent week, which is most weeks, then going for a run is actually exactly what you described. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I just find any f- sort of form of, for myself at least, and I know other people that I've spoken to, any sort of form of vigorous activity where you, you're almost, um, you're placing yourself under stress but in a physical sense. And sometimes I feel like afterwards that can quieten down the mental stress a little bit. I think it's almost like a bit of a, uh, yeah, like a bit of a circuit breaker um, in terms of, yeah, that mental stress. When you have all these things on your mind, you're worried, I've got, I've got to have this conversation with this person and I've got to pay this bill, I've got to do that. You go do some hard exercise or if you go to jiu-jitsu and you've got someone trying to strangle you. Um, <laughs> That's af- worse af- than paying your bill. <laughs> af- af- afterwards, all those problems don't seem as bad. Um, yeah. Similar if you're doing a really hard run through the hills and you go, man, this really sucks right now. Afterwards, that those stresses that you had prior probably won't weigh, weigh you down as bad. Um, that's Jer- what I find anyway. Jerome, how do you find that? Because you talked about rest. So <laughs> we're at absolute extreme yeah. ends here. Well, I, to, to, like, just to pick up on that, like, yes, you are doing something really heavily intensive, but what's actually happening from a physiological standpoint is we're re- releasing endorphins, releasing dopamine. We're getting some really great reward pathways that are coming your way after you've done you know, high-intensity exercise. And then importantly after that, you actually do need to rest anyway. So, yes, you do need some rest time and some non-productive rest time. And a great way to start that ball rolling is get into high-intensity exercise. I'm not saying that you should go fight someone and (laughs) try and choke someone out. That's just for you, James. But for others, yeah, like that's a great way to get into the non-productive rest time. Well, some of my most peaceful drives is the drive home from training yeah you got nothing on your mind you play a bit of music on the radio just sort of cruising home and that's probably my you know downtime so yeah i definitely agree with what you're saying rest is very important how long is that drive uh about half hour yeah yeah so it is nice. a good yeah it's not five minutes where you're yeah. still wide and switched on no, and then no. walk into the next part of your life yeah, yeah. no you sort of unwind which is good yeah, yeah, great. So we've talked about exercise then, you know, obviously, and Jerome, you've just touched on on some of the benefits. So why is exercise so important? And I know we've got a couple of episodes on this, but um, why is it so important? Put simply, the human body was built to move. I don't think our bodies were cut out for the sedentary lifestyles that we have currently today in, in terms of like sitting down in an office chair, um, doing not a lot of physical activity. I don't think our bodies were built for that. If you Think about our physiology and our anatomy. It was meant to walk. It was meant to run. It was meant to do high-intensive exercise. And so when we're talking about exercise, we're really just talking about monitoring and maintaining the human body in, in the sense. And a lot of the, the injuries that we see that come through our door has a lot to do with people that have gone from doing nothing to doing a lot of exercise all at one, at one go. And for me, exercise is doing some consistent and if you're looking to start doing exercise from the get-go, you know, starting small and then building up is probably the main way to go about it. 
But just know that you're also influencing your physiology by doing that, even if you're starting small, by getting some dopamine, getting some endorphins, some serotonin. There are so many good things that come from exercise and also just in terms of improving your heart function, improving all type of organ function, even just improving your fitness. And one of the things that often I hear from clients is, oh, I'm not a great exerciser. And it comes back to that identity crisis of, mm. oh, I'm, not, I'm a terrible exerciser. I'm not mm. a And one of the main things that we try to challenge some of our clients about is, well, why do you feel that way? And could you just try it? Because I think once we find and do some exercise that actually is really, really good for us and, you know, we're getting into different groups and we're doing something novel, people start to find like, oh, this is, this is my calling. I can mm. do this and I can actually do exercise. And then suddenly you're reaping all the benefits that come from it. Mm-hmm. There's a combination with exercise too because if you, um, you might join a group so therefore you've then got the social side of it. If you're walking around your local neighbourhood, you start to see other people in your local neighbourhood. So, again, you've got that social connection. But you did move on built to move. And I think, you know, some people get scared off by the word exercise, but walking to the shops and just that actually using your body to move and not just sit on the couch. But- yeah, absolutely. I think in today's day and age where we've got everything in at our fingertips, literally, like we've got Uber Eats, we've got Uber, we've got Uber Groceries, mm. you name it. I think we're, our lifestyles are built so that we don't have to move, but the mm. harsh reality of it is that our bodies need that. We mm. need to move. We need to do things that are kind of un- uncomfortable in a sense um, and step out of our comfort zones for our bodies to really feel good. We don't even have to get off the couch to turn the TV on. <laughs> so, yeah. like, the washing machine, yeah. as you said, everything is at your fingertips. Apparently there's online shopping. Must ask my daughter about it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a game changer for you. <laughs> Jamie, like, this is yours and James's forte, the exercise side. So where's your input on this? Yeah, uh, like you said, you know, we won't go to, too deep into the weeds with it because you know, it's been discussed on a couple of podcasts before, but, you know, there is that there is that tying in as Jerome touched on before of, um, of exercise and, and mental health as well. Um, and, you know, we, we know that there's, there's research that says that exercise is helpful for um, symptoms of anxiety, depression, um, those sort of things. So um, I guess one of the things that I, that's, I sort of thought of when Jerome was talking was, um, you know, trying to identify, um, yeah, why, why people are sedentary or why they don't exercise, but then um, sort of try and, dig a little bit deeper as well and, you know, have you thought about going for a walk? And if they say, well, I don't like walking, why not? Because um, one of the common things people will say, I don't like going for a walk is because I find it boring. Um, but this person also loves listening to audiobooks or listening to podcasts. And, it's, and then you kind of go down the track, all right, why don't we marry up these two things um, and have the potential of giving you more enjoyment out of your walking because you're also doing activity that you like doing while you're doing it and getting all the associated benefits that come with it as well. Mm. So... Um, yeah, I guess, um, I guess it's sort of, and as, as James said as well, you know, it, it can be for, for some people, myself included, um, you know, it can, it can be a, a form of mindfulness in itself. Um, same as James with his jujitsu, I, I find running to be highly beneficial for my own headspace. Um, and I find that when I'm not running as consistently as what I'd like to, that, that my, my headspace does take a bit of a hit from yeah. it. Um, so we, we have all the physio, physical benefits of exercise that we know. Um, we know that it, it's, and it also has um, positive effects on anxiety, depression, and um, yeah, sort of overall mental well-being as well. So um, yeah, I think if we can if we can work with people to help find ways that 
can make exercise a little bit more engaging for them, um, then you know that can be one sort of one way that we can kind of open them up to to that side of things. Great. I'd like to add in talking. So we've you know we've we might we may be physically injured, we may not be physically injured, we may just have some stresses in life like paying a bill, um, or we're not we're socially disconnected. How important is talking and can and trying to connect with people? Super important <laughs> to answer your question simply, but um, yeah, I think just having someone that you can talk to when things are getting um, a bit too much, uh, I think it's it's a great way to sort of take the weight off your shoulders. Like I think, particularly as as men, I'm sure it's the same with women, but I think women are probably better at talking to each other if they have an issue. Um, men, there's sort of the stigma that we sort of bottle things up a little bit um, and sort of keep things um, inside and sort of let it boil over uh, at time from time to time. I think if you have someone that you can regularly talk to um, about those things, whether it's something small or whether it's something big, um, it's a great way to sort of take the stress off your off your off your back a little bit. Yeah. I know Jerome, you've done some good work in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I think talking is such a major key. Like when we're able to communicate and be. Uh, bit of a buzz term but I guess be vulnerable with one another it opens up the door for others to kind of talk about their issues as well and that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be a psychologist or anything like that but just being able to talk about the things that are going on allows for room for other people to just listen not necessarily help like talking about some issues that you're going through physically mentally emotionally socially doesn't necessarily mean that hey I'm looking for help it's just a matter of getting things off your chest and being able to vent and that allows for better conversations, and we talked a lot about this, but better connection between friends. And I think even just talking about the good things that you're doing for yourself, whether that be from a sleep standpoint or from an exercise standpoint or from a mindfulness standpoint with your mates, opens up like avenues for better discussions around you know, how you're actually feeling physically, mentally and socially. So, um, yeah, to put it simply, talking is so important. And I think a lot of us... Uh, me personally, I've always thought, oh, like if I tell this person what I'm going through at the moment, they're probably going to, you know, they probably think that I'm, it's a call for help. Nah, like mm. now it's like I just want to get stuff off my mm. chest and I just want to, you know, be able to talk someone, to someone about it. So, yeah, super important. I think what you just said about listening is is really important. I probably found that like early in my career as an exercise physiologist, I was probably getting overwhelmed with the amount of like hard hitting conversations I was having with clients. Um, if they're going through a tough time, like I started here during lockdowns, there was a lot of stressed out people, mm-hmm. um, people going through marriage issues or things that were probably a little bit out of my depth. Um, but I found just listening, not necessarily giving advice all the time, but just listening and just letting them speak their mind for 30, 45 minutes, whatever it was. I feel like that helped people a lot, just get things off their chest. Um, You know, I'm not a marriage counsellor or I'm not um, a a psychologist by any means, but just being there and listening and, and showing empathy to people I think is important. And how often do you hear clients, you know, you get to the end of the session where they've, you know, unloaded on you for 45 minutes but how often do you hear clients at the end of that session saying thanks for listening like sorry you know, sorry i dumped all that on you yeah. but thank you for listening yeah. and i think it genuinely makes um a difference you know, even though we're not solving any of the world's big problems um you know still just sort of lending that ear and you know feeling like um that person's got someone that they can they can get things off their chest to when they're when they're having a bit of a rough time 
Yeah. I think even personally, like when I've been filled to the brim with stress and feelings of anxiousness or, or things aren't just going right for me, sometimes it's not even talking to other people. Sometimes it's literally just talking to myself and like journaling in a sense of just like vocalizing what I'm actually thinking and what, what I'm feeling and the things that I feel like I could be improving and doing differently. And that personally has helped me be able to have those conversations later with some of my mates or other people around me because I've actually been able to articulate the things that are going on in my head. And you know that feeling when you're just so bottled up with so many things that are going on, whether that be from a financial, emotional, social standpoint, and you're thinking of all of the pressures that you need to go out and do, and it's so hard to actually be able to, I guess, define them nearly because they're all swirling all at once. But just being able to, I guess, have that cathartic moment of just vocalising things even if it isn't with a mate or with, with someone else, just being able to say them out loud, it kind of takes, nearly turns the light on in, mm. in a dark room and you're able to see it for what it is. Um, that personally has been really, really helpful for me. I think when it's said out loud, you actually hear it as well. So you get it out of your head and, and you know, inside your head you overprocess. Um, but once it's said out loud, you can actually hear what you're saying and which you almost can then help. You can sometimes then help yourself, but if you're saying it to other people, mm. you're actually hearing what, what those words are as well. In some instances you can actually start to problem solve yourself as well. You know, like if mm. you're hearing your own thoughts, like you say, you can, it can kind of manifest in your head but if you're hearing those thoughts come out into the open um, and you, you're hearing them once rather than just sort of swirling mm. around a hundred times in, you know, in no particular order, you can kind of, you know, depending on obviously what the situation is, this is not like an umbrella for everything, but, you know, you can kind of sort of start to work out, well, maybe I'm feeling like this because of this and, therefore I could do this to help rectify this situation or whatever it is mm. um, and start to give yourself a little bit of clarity over why you're feeling the way you are with certain things. And that's not to say, I mean, that's, that's clearly not the case with, with everyone dealing with sort of mental stress or whatever it is, but, but I know that I've had um, instances in some cases where I've let thoughts sort of manifest in my head and it's not until I've gone to talk to my wife about it where you actually start thinking to yourself or as you're talking you sort of go, well, yeah, you know, sort of start putting things together and, you know, you, you kind of start coming up with a bit of a solution yourself. Mm. Yeah, so there, there's value in, in, in talking for, for that as well in, in some cases. Yeah, and James, in saying and sort of getting back to you about do women do it better, I think sometimes society sets women up in a better way. You know, we have mothers groups so that we've got people to talk to and don't feel alone or don't feel that we're doing it terribly or um, there's the Country Women's Association existed a long time ago and now with the things like Men's Shed and mm-hmm. I think there's some really good ha- things happening in the in the space that's not just the pub and alcohol because mm-hmm. uh, alcohol doesn't necessarily solve the world's problems. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I think there's some really good things happening in, in the space for, for guys and even just the fact of, talk, of saying it's okay to talk about it and and it's not necessarily solving the problem. It's just hearing, mm. hearing you know, and listening. Yeah. yeah. I, I think... A lot of the things that we just discussed just now isn't necessarily solving problems in terms of exercise mm. and sleep and mindfulness. They're not like cures. They're not a panacea. But if you think of health, again, kind of on that scale of healthy to illness and anywhere in between, mm. all of these habits that we've just discussed and even just talking kind of shifts the needle towards healthy. Or you could be doing some really negative things for yourself and that pushes the needle towards mm. you know, difficulties on, on just coping. So I think that's important to remember is that, like, the things that we just talked about aren't to fix any mm. problems. They're just to help push the needle towards feeling, you know, somewhat more well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're not going to be happy 100% of the time. Life mm. isn't, you know, you're going to have days that just knock you off your perch for whatever reason. You might have a bad driver pull in front of you. You might have a, a colleague that's had a bad day because they've got something going on in their life and they've snapped or 
I think it is just doing all the little bits to the best of our ability to be on the wellness spectrum to the to the good side mm. rather than having all these things pu- pushing us the other way. Yeah. Yeah. And not and I think you know kids these days think that you've got to be happy all the time and that's just not true in true in life. That's why you put a good uh, decent movie on, have a good cry at a good soppy <laughs> movie. <laughs> Bit of a uh, Oh, I can't think of one. <laughs> Don't want to disclose my good movie. <laughs> All right, thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to finish off with, James, today? Um, no, I think we've we've pretty much covered everything. I think I, I often feel like I sound like a broken record, but I, I I think routine is the most important thing. I think that's one of the major takeaways from this is try to come up with a routine and then follow it. Like, like Jerome said, don't just follow it for a week, try following it for a month and you'll, you'll start to realize, um, you'll start to generate a bit of momentum. I always talk about good and bad momentum. Like if you've got no routine, it's probably hard to, to just come out of doing nothing into this strict routine. Whereas if you, if you slowly start to build this sustainable routine of, of mindfulness and exercise and sleeping well and talking to a friend and all these things we've talked about, um, you'll start to find that that routine starts to become bulletproof. Like I feel like my routine, I very rarely break it. Um, generate some good momentum and good things will happen. That's my key takeaway. Do you beat yourself up if you break it? Not at all. Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, it's, it's flexible. Um, and, and sometimes life gets in the way, yep. but that's the beauty of the routine. If, if I don't get my exercise in today, there's always tomorrow and we're back on track. Yep. It's all good. Talk about what we were talking about last week about, um, we were saying about how, you know, if you have, um, you break your routine instead of sort of continuing on that path of having a broken routine, kind of that getting one up again and sort yeah. of resetting. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah. Oh, like, do you mean as in like if you miss a day, you don't like, don't let that put you out for the week? Like, like if you have certain, oh, I do this on a certain day, now I'm going to have to do that tomorrow and that's going to push everything back. Um, just just sort of move on and just get on with, with the routine because it's one missed day is not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you have a, if you have a day where you're a bit down in the dumps or you're unwell or whatever, it's not the end of the world. Um, you've got your routine that you can fall back onto. It makes it a lot easier to, to get back on track as opposed to if you just have no routine, you're just sort of lost and... Yeah. yeah. So you try, what you're saying, Jamie, is don't do make, don't try and do makeup days. Like just if today's Friday and you've missed everything that you should have done Friday, well then just go you're back on track on Saturday without yeah, looking yeah. back. And more so, don't let don't let like one bad day sort of manifest and yeah. become more. You know, like for example, I think we, we when we were talking last week, we were sort of saying you know, an example is if um, you know like Tuesday I was, I was supposed to go for a run on Tuesday and the day just didn't pan out and I didn't get the run in, but instead of saying um, you know, it's just a lost day, I'm not going to run, sort of got out and went for a 3K walk. Yep. And then you haven't done what you were supposed to do, but you've done something positive still. So trying to turn trying to turn a situation where you're not um, getting out of the day or getting out of that moment what you want into some form of positive change. Yep. Yeah, don't let a bad day become a bad week, become a bad month yep. sort of thing. Just get back on track. Yep. Yep, yep. Um, JB, your takeaway or your thing that really – the message you want? Yeah, I think um, I think coming into the podcast, you know, it was sort of, you know, we'd all sort of said that, you know, there is a lot of information around, you know, we, we people should sleep more and people should exercise more and, um, you know, people should practice mindfulness and those sort of things. But there's um, there's not a huge amount of information out there around, you know, how to go about that. So hopefully, hopefully the discussion today has sort of sparked a little bit of interest in some people in terms of, you know, 
maybe I can sort of add my fitness into my day like this or, you know, maybe I can add exercise into my day by listening to an audio book while I'm doing it because I don't like walking. Yep. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I guess trying to um, get the message out there that, you know, there are there are a number of ways to to achieve the same goal when it comes to wellness. Like it's, there's not just sort of one formula that, that works across the board. Um, and as, as James touched on and as James spoken about as well, it's just finding out um, – what works best for you and it might be sort of trialing a few different things and seeing what works and what doesn't but you know slowly coming up with your own routine and 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 as um as james said sort of making it bulletproof and you know making it stick yeah great um yeah just i guess summarizing all that like if you're listening to this podcast and you're like oh wellness seems like it's a hard task like there are so many things associated with it um and i'm none of the things that these guys have talked about like in terms of that identity of feeling like I'm a, you know, a, a well person or I've got good well-being behaviours, my advice would be just have a crack, like step out of the comfort zone a little bit and just try something new and start really, 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 really small. Just let that momentum start to shift a little bit and I guess challenge yourself from a growth standpoint. Don't think of it as being perfect like what we just talked about there. Mm-hmm. Just remember that you're on this scale of um, healthy behaviours and if you can just start to push the needle towards feeling healthier and start doing small things for yourself and do it consistently, over time you're going to reap the results. But you just have to start. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Don't do it all at once because you'll, you'll set yourself up to fail. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Start small, achieve a little win, build another win, keep building, keep building. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Thank you all for being here today. And if anyone that's listening, you know, actually needs to reach out. All our details are there and any of these guys would be more than happy to um, have a chat and help you get on your wellness journey. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pip. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.